Now, we're, this is our second week in our new series called Follow Me, which is about um, being a disciple in our modern world. Look, I, I don't know about you, but do you know, have, have you think that the, have you think, do you think that the world has changed and got harder? Harder to deal with, harder to cope with, that life and attitude has changed, that, the, um, that things are rapidly moving? Have you noticed how quickly things change in the world now? One minute's this and the next minute's it's something else. Have you noticed how in the world we look around and we see that there is there's pain, there's hurt, there's violence? You know, it's only during the week and, you know, um, often when the news is on is when we're prepping, you know, making dinner, getting dinner ready. And... Um, it was interesting, one of our kids, and I won't mention which one it was, um, happened to actually say, you know, I find it really strange. Every time the news is on, all we ever hear about is death and dying and destruction and war. There's always something negative. And then that took me back. And I kind of went, well, you know, in the world today, you know, I, I don't know about you, but... Do you think there's a lot of conflict? I thought, you know, there's some nodding there. There's some nodding going on, which, which I think is pretty, you know, pretty true and pretty accurate. There's conflict between countries, you know, and we, we'd call that, you know, when it escalates, we call that war. But there is conflict between countries over land, over rights, over water, all, you know, over all sorts of things. You know, there's conflict over ideologies. There's conflict between people. There's conflict within families. And all we have to do is, is see the things that have happened in this, the world this week. The, the tragic bombings in Manchester and Jakarta. To see that conflict is, is there and, and has major impact on people's lives. Or, or we hear the the 28 Coptic Christians that were killed in Egypt just yesterday. And we see that conflict is really there. But these, these are not just isolated incidences. Last year, there was lots of suicide bombings. How many do you think there was last year? Just have, have a guess, have a, have, a, have a number. How many, 10? 58. 58. Okay, we'll go with the highest number so far. Any, any advances on 58? 85. 85, okay. Well, not a million. A million. <laughs> but did you say a million? Okay, I thought you said a million. That's a lot. 58 is a lot. Well, believe it or not, uh, there's, and I, you know, I, just, I really didn't know this. There's actually a centre for um, uh, looking at terrorist acts like suicide bombings. And the statistics from last year was there was 469 suicide bombings in the world. That's amazing. And we only hear a fraction of what goes on. Of those 469 suicide bombings that happened in the world last year, that's only last year, 2016. Now, 800 people participated in those attacks. So it wasn't just small numbers. It was 800 people got involved and made these happen and over five and a half thousand people were killed. 
I don't know about you, but that is frightening. That is really frightening when you look at it. And it's frightening not only because they are so high, it's frightening that we just don't even hear about it. Or that we do hear and we are so blasé that conflict like this happens in the world that we do nothing. Or we don't know what to do. Now, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get us really bogged down into the whole hard part of how do we deal with a, a major big world issue, but we do live in a world where there are problems, where there is conflict. And what I want us to do is take us from this really big and bring us down into a much smaller thing that we can actually deal with. Now, not many of us have the ability to, to deal with some of these really big conflicts, but you know what happens? Big conflicts can be resolved by attitudes of the individual in their own lives. And if we can spread that throughout the world, then these big conflicts start to not exist because we have peace within the individuals and between individuals and those peace starts to flow around. I don't want to go into... I could turn this into a, a you know, whole thing on how do we resolve conflict. You know, I could, I know, I could do this, you know. Uh, I could go, well... First of all, you need to understand what the conflict is. Secondly, then you need to learn how to communicate openly and honestly with the person that you're in conflict with. You know, have some reflective listening. Do people know what reflective listening is? Uh, how many people said? So how many people said yes? Excellent. Those that said haven't said yes. It's 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 what what happens is when somebody makes a statement to you you reflect back that with a question about whether you've heard them correctly so that you, they understand that you've heard what they've said. So it's a, it's a way of dialogue and opening up and, and hearing the person. Then you, then you might go into the whole process of how do we brainstorm possible resolutions or how do we get, find the best resolution that all of us can be a part of it. And if we can't find the best resolution, maybe we need a third party to help us come in and mediate this problem. Explore the alternatives and, you know, finally deal with stressful situations when conflict doesn't always get resolved the way that we want or when there's a, a power imbalance. Now, I could go into all of that and start to explore all those things, but I don't want to do that. I want us to look at the passage of James that we heard and I want us to delve into that passage and hear some scriptural understandings of what are the causes of conflict and then how we can cure that conflict within ourselves. So we're speaking about our individual person. We're not necessarily speaking in the big global thing, but if we change our individual attitudes, then we change the conflict that we are in and the conflict that we have. I want to tell you, I want to, I want to start with an illustration that kind of gives you an understanding of some things. Conflict happens throughout all sorts of places. You know, I said that. Uh, many years ago, it was actually, I think, you know, the early 1900s, you know, um, and how many people know where, where Chile and Argentina are? Excellent, good. So, so in South America, they border one another and they border one another in the Andes, in the, the big mountain range. You know, in Australia, we don't have mountains, we just have little hills, mountains that really poke up into the sky and are really tall but you know they, they they were in conflict with one another and then they they formed a truce a peace and what they did is they erected a statue of christ it's called christ of the andes and it's erected on the border between argentina and chile 
Um, and it's actually been made from um, melted down cannons. So they used the instruments of war and they crafted the Christ of the Andes and have put it up there. And it was meant to symbolise the everlasting peace, that would, the pledge that they'd made to carry on that peace throughout all time. But no sooner had the statue been put up that, that the people of Chile felt that they had been wronged somehow. That the statue of Christ was facing Argentina and not Chile. And they were felt that they'd been put out by this whole thing. And tempers were getting, you know, rising up because Christ was facing Argentina and not us. It wasn't until a newspaper editor wrote in the newspaper and he said, well, which actually diffused the whole situation, made everybody laugh in the process. He said, well, the statue of Christ faces Argentina because the people of Argentina need more watching than the people of Chile. And it made the people of Chile feel so much better. But see, the thing is, conflict happens. Even in things where they're meant to be peaceful, meant to be a symbol of peace, we can even find points of conflict. Have you ever noticed that, how how conflict can come about and how we can feel slighted about something that somebody else did and they, they had no intention of harming or hurting us or drawing us into conflict, yet somehow we feel offended and you start to have that feeling offended being taken out on those individuals and you start entering into conflict. Conflict happens everywhere, between nations, within families, within churches, denominations, you know. Have you, have you noticed, have you, have you been on a car trip with young kids who sit in the back? See, there's a, there's, a, there's a conflict that always happens within cars. It's always called he's in my space or she's in my space. And I don't know about, you know, the longer the car drive, the more chance there is of that conflict happening. Who got the bigger piece of cheesecake or mug cake or whatever it might be, what kind of a cake it is, who got the bigger piece? They're just trivial kind of conflicts. But there are more serious conflicts. Much, well, they, might, they are important. Who gets the bigger piece? Now, that is very important. But see, the thing is, you know, conflict does happen, and it happens in all of our lives. So what I want us to do is actually to delve into to James and have a look at James and what are some of the causes of conflict. Now, we're going to bring up three causes of conflict here. I'm just going to reread you that section from James 4, 1 to 3, so you can hear what those causes are and so you can start to come understand it. What causes fights and quarrels amongst you? Don't they come from your desire that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you can't have what you want. You quarrel and you fight and you don't have because you, don't, you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James just is not beating around the bush here when he's talking about conflict. He's really just nailing it right down. And the first thing that, you know, the first cause of conflict that I want us to see individually, and notice that I'm going to bring it right down to us as individuals now, is there is conflicting desires. Conflicting desires causes conflicts. Let me explain it to you. When I don't get what I want, 
and you don't get what, I, what you want, and we're kind of wanting the same thing, we have a desire for that, and there starts to have a conflict happen over that. When my desire for something starts to override your desire for something else, there is conflict. That starts to happen. Have you noticed it's really easy in our world to blame others when you start to have problems and conflicts? Oh, it was such and such, they did it. It was their attitude, you know. He got the piece of cake first and I wasn't watching. It's his fault. You know, it's simple. We blame others for things. But we need to look at what our desires are and who we are. We need to understand that ourselves, within ourselves, we have conflicting desires, that we want things. And sometimes that wanting stuff comes up as selfishness. Have you noticed that when you look at others, you can point out selfish attitudes really easily? You go, oh, they're being really selfish there. We were able to look and see that, but we really find it really hard to look in ourselves when we may be doing that. So this is what I'm wanting to see. The cause of conflict is often our conflicting desire, our desire for things, our selfish attitudes, our own behaviour that leads to conflict. James describes us as people who want something but don't get it. And therefore we become unhappy. We become restless. We can become discontent. And we become driven by a pleasure to try and find that thing which we have not yet seen or had or got. James then goes on and says that the next thing we do, it's not just about our conflicting desires, the next thing we do is we covet the thing that we don't have. It's wanting something that somebody else has that we don't have. That's coveting. And it really, you know, the, the word covet is to, you know, really has a connotation of being lust, you know, really wanting to lust after something. And we, we tend to use it in a negative connotations. We want to, you know, lasting after something. But, you know, Scripture uses it in two ways, and we need to be careful of that whenever we read within Scripture. Sometimes you might be lusting after the Lord. Jesus even coveted, lusted after to, to have. He, they use the word in Scripture to describe this, that Jesus wanted to have the Passover with his disciples right before the end. He really wanted it, he yearned for it, he really desired it. And they use the same word that we use for covet, to, to lust, to, to covet, to want. So we need to understand that it can have a positive connotation, but it can have a negative connotation. Depends on the object that we are lusting over, that we are coveting. The problem with coveting something is that it leads us to do whatever we need to do, whatever we must do, to get the item that we want, even if it is good or bad. We start to step beyond the bounds. And that makes it really hard. 
So the problem is when we start to covet things, we start to realise that we don't have and a way to get it is to fight, is to go into conflict to get that item. And that is a cause of conflict, is wanting what you don't have. So first of all, we've got conflicting desires and then we've got coveting. And the next word that, that James uses to describe the cause of, of conflict is idolatry. That's pretty hard, pretty harsh, and we often, again, have very negative connotations around this, that you know, adultery is got that sexual connotation about lusting after another person's wife or husband, being unfaithful. And it, take that picture and keep your hold there because you actually really need to understand that when we last after something, it does drive us into areas that we don't necessarily want to be or necessarily should be. And when we even think about this, we need to think even more carefully about ourselves that we can even be spiritually in adultery. We're lusting after something else that we should not be lusting after. We're trying to have a relationship with the world when we should be having a relationship with God. That's what James is getting us down to. Where are our motives? Where are our desires? Look at yourself. If you find yourself in conflict, stop for a moment and understand your part that you play within this. Understand who you are in all of this. You notice when I said, you know, I didn't want to go into all those seven things of how to resolve conflict. We've actually just gone into that first part, how to understand the conflict. But we've done it in a way that says that we are looking at ourselves and how we fit within the scheme of things. What are the things that cause conflict within us? What are the things that cause conflict within our relationships we have with those people around us? And they are our desires that battle within us. They are selfishness, they are coveting things, they are spiritual idolatry. They all orientate us to, to create conflict within our lives. But see, the thing is, James doesn't leave it just there. He doesn't just point it out and say, these are the causes, go and figure it out. It actually gives us some solutions for this, some cures for the conflict. And I think this is really good. <clears throat> and some of these cures, they speak not into necessarily into the world as such, they speak into us as individuals. And they speak into us as individuals, as Christians. How many people would say here that they are a follower of Christ? They want to be a follower of Christ. Because that's really important. Because when we get to this point, if you say, I want to be a follower of Christ, or I am a follower of Christ, then this cure for conflict really starts to speak to you. And I've, I've put three together because they really do work together. And then I've got the fourth one on its own because it's really important that we just have a look at that on our own. See, the thing is that, and, and I want to say this, all too often what happens is 
we look at the cause of conflict, we try to understand the conflict, we ultimately recognise what the faults are, we can ultimately understand it, but see, the thing is, understanding, recognising the fault, is actually different from changing your behaviour to correct the fault. See, I think lots of people understand and recognise that there are issues that they have with their own life, that they may be a part of the conflict, but they're either too proud to do anything about it. Have you noticed that when you're in a conflict situation? One of the things that can stop you from, from actually changing is being proud of actually saying, I, I, I'm not going to do this because if I do that, I'm going to lose face. If I back down out of a situation, I'll look as though I'm weak. Saving face has been the thing that has perpetrated and has kept conflict going for many, many years in people's lives. Changing your behaviour, changing the ways is probably the most important thing to do. Recognise it, yes, you've got to do that, and then move to actually change your behaviour. And the first thing is we actually need to, if we, we've said we're going to be followers of Christ, we actually need to submit to God. And this may sound strange, but it's actually, when we use the word submit, we, we've got to think in military terms here, because it really does have that connotation around military terms and stuff. So, so if you were to submit to the authority of a military leader, so you're, you're a foot soldier, and your commander says, I want you to march over there, you don't go, I don't want to march over there. You march over there because what have they done? They've commanded you to go and do that. And so that's, that's submitting to the authority of somebody above you. And so when we say we need to submit ourselves to God, it's actually realising that God has authority over our lives and they're willing to let God lead us. It may seem complex, it may seem difficult, but it's actually not that difficult. We need to realise in ourselves that conflicts with God and with others often happen because we are not submitting ourselves to the authority of God within our lives. And so we actually need to do that for ourselves. We need to actually put God in charge of our lives. You know, one of the easiest things to do to help with that is to actually read scripture. Read scripture with the, with the, the notion of, of looking at what scripture says on a daily basis. One of the things that helps us submitting ourselves to God is to actually to spend time in prayer and actually pray and, and, and talk and communicate with God. One of the things that also helps in this situation is to have spaces. If you're really wanting to submit to God, have spaces where people will hold you accountable. Life groups. Very important to be able to be held accountable if you are going to continue on your journey of following and submitting to God. Yes, it is personal, but when you have somebody else that can hold you accountable, and you know, it might be as simple as you know, holding you accountable, you, you said, well, what I want to do this week is at least for five days, five days this week, I want to read scripture. I want to read, read you know, something from the Gospel of Luke. And you come along to life group and you've said, this is what I want to do this week. And the next week, somebody goes, well, Simon, did you read the scripture five times? Holding you accountable for you submitting yourself to God's authority in your life. 
It, it's, it's not that they're trying to make you feel bad if you haven't done it. If you haven't done it, you haven't done it. They can encourage you to keep on doing it. Set your boundaries, set your goals, set your what you want to do. It's really important to do that. The second thing that, you know, in there is that we actually must resist the devil. And, and, and James says that. We actually must resist the devil because the devil wants us to, to take on the, the will of the world and the things of the world and we must actually submit ourselves to God and not just be caught up with the desires of the world and what the devil wants us to do, which is to place God lower and our own selves higher and say we are ourselves the ruler of everything. And then, it go, then, then James also goes on that we actually must come near to God. And see, here's a promise that James, you come near to God and God will actually come near to you. It's an incredible promise. That is, God, God actually, you know, when I was talking about lusting, God, God wants us to be close to him, to be close to our Lord and our maker. And, and that's an amazing thing because the closer you become, the more like you become our Lord and our maker. Have you noticed, uh, let me just give you an illustration. <clears throat> Have you noticed that if you surround yourselves with people who are really critical, who, are, who uh, talk about, you know, and, and it may be that, you know, you, you, you have friends and you've been hanging out with friends and they're always bagging out an individual um, and how they look or what they wear or who they're going out with or whatever it might be or how pathetic they are at their job. And if you're always in that, space where somebody is always saying that, do you know what happens to you? You start picking up those traits because you are close to them and it start, what happens is it's called normalisation. You start to normalise that behaviour for yourself and that's not actually what you want to do because you start taking that and then you start doing it and then you start putting it out into other situations and that's how that behaviour starts to propagate around the world because we start to normalise ourselves into, that's okay. It's okay if I, you know, have that kind of baby. You know, it's, it's interesting. We've, we've actually had to have this conversation with our kids um, because there's whole, this, this whole thing called banter that happens at school at the moment. And it's, it, it's not, it's kind of like a little put down but meant to be done in a joking way. But see, the thing is that, you know, when you're having banter, it then starts to become normalised and then you do that more and more into other situations and it becomes disrespectful and it becomes putting down and we need to be careful that what may seem like simple and innocent starts to move towards that area which is not simple and innocent and starts to normalise that behaviour. So we've actually said it's actually not necessary, you know, it may be okay to have a little bit of, but don't keep on carrying it on. Know when to stop. The whole point of this, and I was just kind of getting sidetracked there, so let me come back, is that we need to actually get close to God because the nearer to God we are, the more close to God we are, the more we're in tune with God, the more we read scripture, the more we actually pray, the, the more that God actually starts to rub off on us, the more God becomes normalised in our behaviour and the more we actually bring the character of God into the world around us. So instead of normalising behaviour which pulls apart, we start normalising behaviour which builds up and strengthens and encourages. So these are amazing things. That, this actually stops conflict. This is a cure for conflict because it's about your behaviour. This is a cure for conflict within your life 
And if it's a cure for conflict in your life, it's a cure for conflict within the relationships that you hold and then within those relationships it moves on further. The fourth thing I said that James <coughs> mentions and, and is really important is this. We need to stop judging others. The cure for conflict is not to judge. And it's really interesting because I have these conversations within church and without church, within Christian circles and outside of Christian circles. Often within the Christian circles, people are, you know, they're wanting to judge people and say, oh, you know, but they haven't chosen Christ. They're going to hell or all these things and what happens? And I keep on coming back to scripture where it says, we're not the judge. We're not the one who is to judge what happens. That is God's job. That is not our job. We are not the judge. So we shouldn't be judgmental. We should be loving. We should be willing to tell the gospel. And see, even outside of Christian circles, the thing I hear most is that Christians are judgmental. And I find that really hard because we're called not to judge. And I find it really hard that the world keeps on thinking that we are judgmental. It's really important for us to live a countercultural life, a life that is different from what the world is living, a life that is bound by scripture that leads us to know Jesus Christ, our God, more fully, more deeply, that the Holy Spirit may be working through us. But we need to do it in a way where we are not continually judging others because that, what that does leads us into conflict. When we are continually judging others, you end up in conflict with others. Have you ever noticed, and this is another one of those things of rubbing off and normalisation, you know, if you, and, and I, I found this, I found this, you know, if you've listened to um, talkback radio where everybody's negative and critical around things, and you come home and you start being negative, critical in a completely different situation because that's what you've been hearing, you need to be careful of what you surround yourself with. So if you're always in that space of being with people who are conflicting, you need to take yourself out of that and be in a space where people are uplifting. So we need to, not, we need to stop judging others. And, and this is really very personal. This is within your life. So if you... You notice how he said we can always point out that somebody has done something wrong or how hypocritical they might be or how selfish they might be or whatever. What is that? That is a point of being judging of others. You know, if, if, what is the golden rule that Christ used? Is to love your neighbour as yourself. And if we start placing that within ourselves and actually saying, well, that's actually what Christ wanted to live, there are times when we need to be able to speak the truth but not do it in a way that is judgmental or actually say it in a matter-of-fact way, this is what Scripture says, this is the way I live my life. That's okay to be able to do that. But you need to be careful of going, this is what it is for me. 
We need to be careful not to stop and start judging others, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. I love other denominations. I think they're great. I think they're amazing. I'm sick and tired of hearing churches bag out other churches. I want us to really love our Lord, our God, with all our hearts, all our soul, all our minds. See, if we do these things, then we're going to combat conflict within our own lives. Stop. The moment you start thinking that you're judging somebody, stop. Ask the question, why are you wanting to judge that person? Maybe you want to help and correct them. That's important. That's speaking truth into their life and going, there, there might be an issue that, that, that needs correction and so you might need to be able to speak a word of correction into somebody's life. But if it's there because you want to make yourself feel better, if you want to make yourself feel more powerful, if you want to exercise your authority on the matter, then that's judgment. And that's what we're not called to do. So we need to be careful on how we deal with all of this. As I said, we, you know, we, we're going to be tackling big issues. How do we follow? You know, when Jesus says, follow me, how do we do it in a world now? when we've got lots of different competing things for our attention, competing ideologies, competing ways of doing things. How do we do this? So we've looked at conflict today, and hopefully this has helped you. Hopefully it's given you a little bit of scriptural insight into what this is, some of the causes of conflict. Hopefully it's, it's worked within you. And if, if God's actually been working in you as we've been speaking that there's actually a point of conflict within your life that you have with a brother and sister in Christ with a family member whoever it might be I want you in this moment of prayer just to ask God to forgive you for that conflict to open your mind to that conflict and help you to stop that conflict from the behaviours that you have so let's just pray Oh Lord God, we just ask this morning that your Holy Spirit be on us, that, that your Holy Spirit open us up to how we may be in conflict with people around us. That you may be pointing inside of us what are those causes of that conflict. Whether it's desires, whether it's coveting, whether it's adultery, but it's really wanting more than we have. Lord, help us to be satisfied with the gifts and joys that you bring us, not lasting and yearning for others. But Lord, also help us to be in peace, to live in peace with those around us. Help us to submit ourselves to you. Help us to resist the world and the devil. Help us to become close to you, O oh God. And help us to stop judging those around us. Help us to leave that to you. And help us just to speak the truth in love. Help us to live in peace with those around us and within our family.
Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.